that I also encourage people to think about process goals instead of outcome goals. Because the problem with an outcome goal is, and you guys talked about before, when I make a certain amount of money, I'll be happy. Or I'm going to lose this weight and I'm going to do it in a short amount of time. Well, that's an outcome. Now what? And so then people are constantly looking for a new outcome and inadvertently can sabotage themselves in order to create a new need to have another goal. And so love the habit stacking and I think it's hugely important. Welcome to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I'm your host, Justin Green, a certified financial planner who specializes in helping fitness entrepreneurs and millennials grow their net worth. The goal is to bring you conversations with successful individuals in the fitness industry on how they navigated their journey to success. Justin Green is the founder and financial planner at AssistFP, a financial planning firm. All opinions expressed in this show are solely those of Justin and not reflective of AssistFP. This podcast should not be considered advice. It is solely for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisor you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I'm your host, Justin Green. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Scott Schutte and Dr. Janine Steister, or Dr. J for short, of Healthy Behavior Institute. It's an amazing conversation about how they teamed up to provide behavioral coaching for online health and fitness coaches to help create better client successful outcomes. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Why don't you tell everyone uh, real quick, where are you guys calling in from? Columbia, Missouri. So right cool. in the middle. Perfect. And why don't you uh, give us a little bit on each of your backgrounds? You can start Dr. J and then Scott will get yours, but just a quick, you know, 30 second uh, background on, on you and how you got involved with the Healthy Behavior Institute. Yeah. So my doctorate is in behavior analysis or the study of human behavior. And I've been doing that as a researcher, as a practitioner, as an educator for the last couple of decades. And uh, I started uh, training with um, Scott at his uh, fitness facility about a decade ago. And uh, over the course of time, we started to collaborate and Healthy Behavior Institute is the result of that. Yeah, so my background is personal training for the last past 18 years, been gym owner for the past 12 years and, you know, always in this pursuit of how to do it better, uh, whether it's better in um, getting clients results or better on the business side. And and as, as interesting as having Dr. J as a client, I was like, of, of all the different things I'm learning, um, the behavior science is, is very, very little touched on in our industry. And I would mm -hmm. say it's the missing link. Um, so like a lot of collaboration with her, uh, we put together the systems and programs that created the Healthy Behavior Institute. And now we're coaching other fitness professionals um, on the behavior science and how to use it in your facility. Very cool. I love the concept. Uh, I was extremely interested from the moment I met you, Scott, and you kind of handed me your business card and I read it and I was like, oh, this is interesting. As a finance guy, uh, I follow a lot of behavioral finance uh, research. And so I'm really interested in, in uh, seeing where this conversation goes and learning more about how Dr. J kind of brings that research and in, in academia side into uh, fitness coaching. But I am curious. So like, Scott, what problems were you seeing that you thought like, hey, we need to provide a solution for this? 
Well, I bet the, the, the coach is listening. It's the same one we all hear. It's like if the clients would just listen to what we say, they would get the results they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's that part of it. It's, it's We talk about we're, we're, we're uniting the, the physiology and the psychology. And so there's a lot of great coaches out there that really understand the nutrition, the macros, the calories, the exercise execution, the program design, all these different aspects of, of making someone very lean, and very fit and very healthy. But the missing piece is like, how do I make this work for a wide range of clientele? We occasionally get this one person that comes in that will do anything and everything we say. And we're like, oh, I'm a great coach. Now, if everyone else would do that. Now, what I wanted to work with and I wanted to help those people that were not the, the ones that followed everything we said or the ones that uh, were the do everything any time of the day kind of deal. And so th- the conversations with her were showing me how to have different conversations. And, and I used to put it as like, oh, it's the clients that aren't listening. Well, it's really just me not giving the right advice to them based on their personality, you know, their background, their values. And, and, and her really breaking that down for me gave her me a better communication tool so I could get better compliance with my clients. Now, was this like, uh, in Dr. J, was he just uh, not giving the advice, right? And so you were like, hey, this is how you should be doing it. Or was it him coming to you being like, I have these clients, they are not listening, and I really don't know what to do and, and kind of looking for your advice on that. How did that start? I think it started more of just, you know, we were both kind of trying to understand each other's world a little bit more. You know, we're training, we're just talking about it. It's like, and he asking me, like, what, what is this behavior science stuff that you do and things like that? And I was asking him, you know, um, what's it like working with the clients? What type of clients do you have? Like, what kind of problems are you seeing? And, and, and by describing some of those things, you know, at times I'd be like, well, so what is your suggestion for that or whatever? And then I would just sort of ask some questions like, well, if it's that mother of three that's working full time versus the 22 year old guy that's still in college, how are you differentiating those? Or there were times where, for example, I think Scott would say like, well, you know, if they're drinking a little bit too much at night, you know, we're trying to suggest that maybe they drink kombucha instead of some of the alcohol because it's just a little bit better, or maybe it's more filling or just kind of move off that. And I was like, well, that might work, but only if they're drinking the alcohol for a similar sensory experience in the kombucha. But if they're drinking it to escape their day, I'm not sure kombucha is going to cut it. And so it was like, oh, well, why not walk me through this? And, and so it was just more organic of just recognizing that. And from my perspective and, and fitness and health has always been something that I've been very interested and committed to, even from my professional standpoint, because my goal is always to help people achieve or move towards the goals and the, and, and the lifestyle that they want. And if somebody's health and fitness is not in a great place or they're very frustrated with it, that impacts everything else. But I I think a a big part of what I saw was, wow, we've got all of this great information that these coaches have, including as other, you know, the trainers that that work in the gym. And what seems to be missing is they don't understand how human behavior work to connect the right strategies with the right person in the right dose at the right amount of time. And there's a lot of science about that. And, And you know that from, you know, looking at um, business and financial and, and looking at how people use money, spend money, all of those types of things. And so it was really kind of closing that gap. So I'm interested when you started kind of educating him on that, where did you, 
where did you start? Was it like, hey, here's some research to look at. Hey, here's some exercises to practice. Um, because I'm assuming before you guys could come together and be like, you know, here's a framework for other coaches. It was like, all right, here's what Scott should do. And like, let's try it out first. Exactly. And in my career, I've spent a lot of time training people on some really core um, behavior science, psychology is very complex and it's a broad field. However, there are some, when you're thinking about somebody having information and then implementing something, there are some core systems that are relatively universal. So to your point, you have to still adjust those for the fitness industry and the delivery model. But the first thing I really talked to Scott a lot about was um, what we now call the EATS model. In the behavior sciences, I didn't give him a bunch of research. Um, talk about meeting somebody where their personality is. Me handing him a bunch of stuff to read uh, was not going to resonate as well as me just kind of walking and showing um, how this worked. But the first thing we really talked about was the, the four functions of behavior. And in the Healthy Behavior Institute, we call them root causes. But the core concept of it is that, and we call it EATS because it's escape, attention, tangible, or sensory. And what I was explaining to him is if somebody is drinking and their root cause is to escape their day, just to, to kind of push everything aside and, and mentally just not be as stressed out or it's for stress management even, then you have to find a replacement that serves the same function. Human behavior doesn't persist if it's not being reinforced. So even the negative habits we have are the ones that we don't want to have as much. We're doing them for a reason. So figure out what that reason is and then match the strategy accordingly. If it's attention because that's how I socialize with my friends, then any replacement needs to include that socialization. If it's because I worked hard, tangible, and I deserve something, then we need to have a replacement for that. And then sensory is kind of what it sounds. Tastes good, feels good, um, and serves purposes like that. So that was probably the, the cornerstone of what we first talked about. And so it allowed him, I think, and he can speak better to this than I, of course, to take all those great pieces of advice and information he knew and strategies and better match them um, for people under different conditions. Scott, so what did you see once you started kind of learning about that um, and implementing it with your clients? Like, how did that how did that change your your coaching business? So, so I'd say the big thing with that is you just get happier clients, and happier clients stick around longer because if if you're constantly giving you know people come in, they say well, they want to lose weight, and we're like, okay, if we want to lose weight, we need to reduce calories. If we need to reduce calories, we need to cut out these big caloric offenders in your if you're, if you're telling them just to stop having it or if you give them a replacement that doesn't match that root cause and they can't stick it with it for a long time, they're going to feel like a failure. And, and, and clients are pretty good. I, I've never had anybody be like, well, it's your fault that I haven't lost. But a lot of times when if you're giving them suggestions that aren't key to them, they just kind of fall off. They just stop showing up. Mm-hmm. And so the, the game that we're always playing as a, as a business owner is like, how do we retain our clients? And the big thing is, is giving them suggestions and tools that match up to their personality, to their lifestyle, to their values. And that doesn't mean everyone's going to be a major transformation. Like another thing we talk about is, is, is minimal effective dose. So a lot of times we're working with, and at my gym, we work with general pop. And most people are coming in to lose some weight. And they don't want to, at least they don't want to give the, the effort to be, you know, six pack abs kind of deal. They just want to be a little bit healthier. They want to lose a little bit of weight. And so when we can play root cause desire, we can say minimal effective dose, and we can still show people how to enjoy some of the things that they like in life. 
the occasional drink, the, you know, because like people come in, I'm like, I want you to have the birthday cake with your kid on their birthday. Like I'm okay with that. Um, I actually push people to do that if it's, they feel good doing it. Um, and so then what we see business wise is, is people are generally happier coming in. Um, there's not this big, you know, back and forth of all in, all out. And the retention stays better because they know that we're there to help them and not just deprive them. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, how long did um, did you guys kind of do this together before you, you thought, hey, maybe other coaches could uh, benefit from this? So it's definitely been an evolution of, you know, started training about 10 years ago. You know, in a lot of conversations, and, and and it was nice because since I own a gym and we have a lot of trainers, is is we get to experiment with this in house, and because you you have all this amazing information, and then you got to be able to break it down so it can be used with a trainer that's you know twenty two years old, you know, just got a certified personal training course, and you know, like the the most basic knowledge and use in a a, a um, systemized way. We actually started with a book that we, we wrote to more end users and so that they could have a better understanding with that. And with, with, with that, that process, you know, I was talking to one of my, my, my friends and he's like, you really need to teach the coaches how to do this because you can give the information to the end users, but really the coaches, if they had these tools in the toolbox to be able to use with the, the physical side that they know, with the nutrition side they know, like they're going to be more effective coaches and you're going to have better results with the end user. And so... Uh, really about really we got working hard 2020 when the gym was shut down during COVID we had a lot of time to 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 spend on recording putting the courses together working out the material working on the workbook and putting that together and and been teaching coaches and um, gym owners since then gotcha very cool so tell me a little bit more about the actual program itself Um, who would be most ideal to sign up for it Uh, what pain points would they be struggling with to kind of come to the program and and be like, Oh, this is awesome. This is exactly what I needed to kind of advance as a coach. I'm just curious on those points. Yeah. To me, this is the foundation for everything you're doing in the sense of we're trying to influence clients to change their behaviors inside and outside the gym. And really if you're, you're, especially if you're working with people on, on weight loss, health, which I would say the majority of the coaches are, unless it's a specific lifting competition kind of S thing is we we have to coach them outside the gym. And so this is kind of the framework of what we teach is like we set, we set up um, specific time for the coach to meet with the clients, whether this is on the phone or in person to go over everything that they're doing inside and outside the gym. We talk about is this is the complete coaching package in the sense of we want to coach, you know, your nutrition, your sleep, your supplementation, your you know unhealthy behaviors, your your mindset, your stress management, all these different things to help you move towards your goal. And so, we talk with so many coaches, and they're like, "I know what to do, calorie wise, training wise." Um, clients aren't listening, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. So, if anybody has that pain point of like, if clients would just listen to what I'm saying, this is a great starting point for them of, of getting better compliance because they they learn how to have better conversations with clients. Well, and, you know, and there's always that running joke that people have about like, I love my job if it, if it wasn't for the people, right? And, and so people talk about that working with or managing people is always super hard. And so my bent, of course, is if you're working with human beings, understanding, and that's why, you know, we call it that foundational, understanding just some core principles of, of behavior change and how it works. 
And even in ourselves, it, it, it works. We aren't necessarily always aware of it unless somebody points it out or we're kind of studying that. And it isn't about having a therapy session or anything, because I know some people are worried about like, oh, if I, if I get into people's stress management or any of those things, happiness, it's a therapy session. And so in the course, we really um, explain those 10 areas, um, in that holistic per picture of the person, and then how to do this service in a 15-minute chunks and how to do it regularly. We have an assessment um, that, that you can also use so you're not always focused on measuring change in body comp, but also in those other areas. And then we have the tools and the systems and even your first session, your subsequent sessions, what should they look like, what do you cover, so that people really can plug and play and grab this and, and do that. And again, it's fun to see this, again, psychology and behavior science is so broad and big, but just some of these core fundamentals will make such a big change um, for coaches and trainers just to be able to work with clients more effectively and also um, help people articulate what they actually want. Because one of the other reasons that it can be really frustrating or challenging to help people meet their goals is because oftentimes they don't use the words that actually represent what they need. They use words that they've heard in the way that we market to them or that their sister uses, or they've heard other people, or they think they're supposed to say. And so we spend a lot of time helping trainers quickly learn how to weed through some of that and get to the actual um, goal so that they can hit the ground running. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. In, in my field, a lot of times uh, we talk about like asking a client what their financial goals are. It doesn't always make the most sense because they're just going to regurgitate back to us what they think they're supposed to tell us. Yeah. So, you know, exactly. I, I, I want to save for retirement, but you have to actually like dig deeper and find out, do you actually want to do that? Like you're a business owner, maybe you actually want to keep working. Like, and so that was a really interesting point that you made there. Um, I'm curious, is there any specific like psychology principles or uh, research that you kind of relied on when creating the program um, that you found yourself like coming back to a lot? In, in the sense of how to apply it to uh, fitness and nutrition advice for coaches? Yeah, so there's a couple of um, paradigms that are in the literature that are pretty key to this specific, what we're talking about. One of them, and we do see some people orienting to this and some other certifications a little bit or discussions at least is like motivational interviewing. And so the notion of, figuring out where someone truly, what they truly want, kind of what like you, we were just talking about. But then the other tenets have to do with that um, behavior is a manifestation of, so it's really an expression of our internal state in our environment. And so a big part of the literature and the research that, that I look at is how the environment, whether it's the lifestyle that you live, um, geographically where you're located, everything from um, sort of your bedtime routine to how long your commute is, to how many members you have in your family, what your role is in those relationships, how those things impact and set the stage for different behaviors. And some of those behaviors are, um, are ones that we like that we do, and some of them set the stage for behaviors that we wish we didn't exhibit. And then the other component is, so we call them like setting events and antecedent literature and looking at the behavioral sequence that happens. And then, as I mentioned before, 
it's also the reinforcement paradigm. And so one of the things that we know, um, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm trained in the sciences to say we know anything is always a bit of a push, but the research has been really consistent in knowing that um, humans don't continue behaviors that, that aren't being reinforced. And the definition of reinforcement is truly that a behavior maintains. And so, and it can be reinforced in, a, in an undesirable way or a, a positive way, but either way it's serving a purpose. And so uh, really looking at that literature and understanding that if nutritionally someone is eating something that they know isn't moving them towards their goal, if they're um, being more sedentary than they want, uh, it is being reinforced by something that's serving a purpose. And so really looking at that interrelated um, research on that behavior paradigm. And then for us, looking at it for fitness, health, and nutrition is really taking that framework and paradigm and matching it to what are trainers able to do, um, what would be the best way for them to communicate with clients, which is why another reason Scott alluded to before is we take it off the gym floor. Because the other part of the literature has to do with the fact that when we're motorically challenging people on the gym floor, um, their ability to recall information accurately and thoroughly, as well as retain the information that we give them is really difficult and it's compromised. So if we're walking through my, my training program and you're asking me for food recall last night, what SUPs am I taking? What medications am I taking? How did I do with my water intake this week? I'm not necessarily lying to you, but inadvertently, I will not be able to typically recall that fully because I'm working on my coordination, my, my breathing is labored, um, all of those other things. And then on top of that, I'm nodding as you're giving me recommendations. But again, I'm really focused on other parts. We see that developmentally with little kiddos. They start to walk, sometimes their language and their communication goes down, their communication and language builds up. We see sometimes a little bit of regression physically in motoric movements, and then we start to see it balance out. It's just really hard during that time. So that's the other part of the literature that I really focused on to understand why we need to take this off the floor and have it as a designated time. Um, and then Scott's always good at pointing out too, is that if you sit down with somebody and you spend that 15 minutes really going through this with someone, you're also clearly um, defining the importance of the value of it. And I'm sure that that's true in the financial industry as well. Um, an offhanded conversation about retirement is very different than sitting down and having a, a, a really more comprehensive conversation about what retirement means to you. Absolutely. Scott, I'm curious, once you started kind of implementing this with your clients, like how did that transition feel? So to go from, you know, training them on the floor to all of a sudden now we're having like a 15 minute conversation before or after and talking about their behavior, like what, what type of like switch did that take? How'd that feel? Cause this is a softer so we were, side of things. For sure. Um, we were already doing some nutrition coaching. So the, the, the space and time we were already doing a little bit, but it definitely made a big shift. Like I'm a, you know, Paul Quinn guy, if, if you've, I've uh, heard of his training kind of deal of like his supplement doing the, the pinches for the biosignature and the calipers and stuff like that. Um, and so like we would have pretty hardcore nutrition conversations. What this really shifted was it was a lot less focus on the numbers of the 
what the caliper readings and the body fats were, a lot less focus on did I hit my calories or macros not up, to a lot more of, okay, this is what's holding me back. Here's a replacement for that. How well did we do with that? And are we trending in the right direction? Because like, you know, looking back, like I feel like I created some monsters by like, like, you know, focusing so much on the body fat percent. I remember, you know, I have a calipers that are doing millimeters and like, why is that down 0.2? I'm like, listen, like if I do 0.2 on the calipers right now, you can't even see the light in there. And so it, it just, that's what's, you know, kind of bad about the fitness space sometimes if, you know, people coming in and they're like, I want to lose weight. I want to lose body fat. And we're like, coaches like, yes, I can help you lose weight and body fat. This is what I know what to do. We just work out and we change our calories and macros. So it's better ideal for you. And we do that and you'll lose the weight. But the problem is even, you know, we see some people that um, slowly just kind of fall off because they're like, ah, oh, you don't want to change the things. And we have some other people that actually hit the mark and get where they're at. And they're still not any happier than where they want to be. So they're still kind of lost. So, you know, it's kind of like, and we see this on financial too, where people are like, oh, once I make this certain kind of money, I'm going to be happy. I'm like, ah, it doesn't work that way. And so you, you just get a lot more satisfaction as a coach, which is super important because you want to be happy as a coach and, you know, from the client too, because you're just helping them along this journey of making better choices. They're, they won't have as quick of a, you know, six week or 12 week transformation, but they will be better a year later, at least in my experience of working with people and making this shift from less focus on just the, the body fat measurements and the, the macros, calories and physical side to like, okay, you know, what are we doing for you? You know, what are our root cause for our unhealthy behaviors? What's the minimal effective dose? And let's make sure that we're clearly um, going into what your goal is. Like with our membership model, and we mainly do one-on-one -on -one personal training, this is built into the price. Everybody gets one of these a month. And so, and we also have some people that come in that just do this. They don't even train with us. Some of them don't even train at all. Because like if someone's super sedentary and they're, they're very overweight, we can talk about a few of these principles and we can get them just increasing their steps a little bit. We can have them find the right replacements for some of their caloric offenders. We can make sure that they're um, filling in the gaps where they're behind, whether it's protein or water or something like that. And then we can see them lose weight. And all they're doing is coming and talking to us for 15 minutes. So it's it just been a nice transfer in that, that realm of it's, it's, it's not so um, black or white of like you did it or you didn't do it. It's just more of this kind of journey of just figuring out what works best for them and progressing them along the way. Yeah, sometimes I think it's tough. We get too focused on the analytics, which for you would be like the body fat percentage uh, yep. or in your, your profession for me would be like rate of return or how much yep. your net worth is, et cetera. Um, and I think... Uh, I think it's starting to shift now back towards uh, the actual emotional side of things, right? And so it sounds like that's the conversation you are having as well with coaches and clients because reality is, is we as business people might be analytical minded, but most clients aren't going to be that way. Most people coming in probably don't want to be obsessed with their body fat percentage, right? They just want to live a healthier, happier life. Like maybe they want to play nope. with their children or be able to walk around the block, walk their dog, et cetera, you know, especially working with general population. I'm just curious. I want to hear more about the actual course itself. So we've got coaches listening in and they're, you know, they're listening, they're interested in what you guys are saying. Tell me a little bit more about the actual course, uh, what they can get from it, where they can go to find it. Tell me a little bit more about that. 
So our, our course is on, if you go to healthybehavioristitute.com, um, th- you can definitely read more about there. There's even a place where if you want to set up a call with me to figure out how this can specifically work for you as a coach or you and your facility, like I'm happy to have those conversations. I actually really enjoy those conversations. Um, we break it down to three foundations. The first foundation is we have 10 different tenets of of fitness that we're, we're, um, we're assessing. And we have software that goes along with this. As a coach, you send it out to your client and it gives feedback. Because as a coach, you're constantly playing detective. You're, you're in there and you got a short meeting time with them. And you're like, okay, what's, what's their uh, big caloric offender or what do they really want? It's always playing this. So there's, there's two parts of this assessment. And Dr. J came up with the first part of like, um, we call it the communication insights. So it's a quick assessment of their values of the best way to communicate with that client. The second part is the them assessing where they're at, where they want to be at in 12 weeks based off those 10 areas. So when the, the client first comes in, I want to know how to um, communicate with them. They're like, okay, this person wants to know the why, or this person wants details, or this person doesn't want details. Like it's super important to have that. And the second part is like, I know how they prioritize all these different areas. And what I also like about the assessment, it's starting to measure other things besides the, the, the weight and the body fat. Because people have to start thinking about their stress management or the relationships or their health, and they start giving scores to that because then we can show them improving in other areas besides just the weight. Because one thing I like to talk to clients about is like, if you lose the weight, but your stress is up, your relationship's down, your happiness is down, like, does it really even matter? Like, no. So we want to we wanna look at this a whole picture. We're trying to coach a complete fitness journey. The, the second part of our, our online education is actually, here's what an exact session looks like. Here's what session one will look like, two, three, four. So it gives a breakdown of, of the 15 minutes you have. Here's what you need to cover during that, which I really think is the, the most important. Because we can talk you know, here for the next hour or two going over all the, the, the pieces, the, the information to this. But like actually being able to break it down so you can have a clear, effective session, I think is super important. And then the, the third foundation is going more into Dr. J breaking down a lot of the behavior science principles. So you as a coach just have a better understanding of why your clients are choosing um, the things that they are. And there's about, uh, we have CEs for it. So ACE, NASM, all of that, the CEs, there's about 19 hours of total content, depends on how fast you read. And if you read all of the, the workbooks and the, the, the text, but it's a combination of videos, uh, worksheets, workbook, and then as Scott mentioned too, the, the systems. So there's the, the downloadable PDFs for those. Um, even in his facility, we have all the sheets out there for the trainers when they go into the, the coaching room and have these conversations so they're readily accessible. And then of course, access uh, to the assessment. So, and part of that is looking at multiple ways that people learn. And we know some people are more visual, some people like to read and process it and things like that. So we've really done a a balance and a combination of it. Do you guys incorporate habits or anything like that in that? Um, I'm a big fan of Atomic Habits by James Clear. Before it was like like a mega, you know, bestseller. Now everyone's heard of that book. I really liked it when it first came out and then everyone, like it just became so famous. So I think everyone's heard of it now, but I'm just curious as I hear you talk about this, I'm, I'm just wondering like how habits would kind of fall into it. And I feel like uh, he talks about habit stacking in there. And I feel like that could be really beneficial to emphasize with clients. So I don't know. Do you guys uh, talk about that at all in there? Yeah, absolutely. And you had asked before, like what literature or science, you know, does some of it based on? And and another part has to do with how people learn and what's called scaffolding. 
behaviors. And so, which is functionally the same thing as habit stacking. I I like the term habit stacking much, uh, much more uh, easy to roll off the tongue and and clear. So um, I love adopting that term, but it's very, and and that's exactly um, a big part of our premise is my concern has always been is that if I'm, you know, if you're, if you're training a, a client one week and you're on the training floor and you're talking about increasing their protein or drinking more water, and you're like, hey, you know, how much, well, about a glass or two or whatever. Okay, why don't we, you know, half your body weight should be, you know, drinking water. So let's get that, you know, 70 ounces in a day and, and work on that. Well, and then, oh, and by the way, then also let's up your protein. So get some protein shakes in or add some, um, some more meat or, you know, vegan alternatives for that. That's great. So then the next time I come, well, how do we do with the 70 ounces? How do we do with the protein? And the challenge with that is besides it's sort of oftentimes extreme, of like from very little to now we got 70 ounces of water a day. The other thing is, is that we haven't stacked any habits and we haven't paired it with, I'm like somebody like me, I'm moving around a lot during the day, not only just in one place, but in my car, going elsewhere, things like that. And so what's the best way for me to make sure that water's always around or with me, as opposed to if I sat in one desk all day or other things like that. And how can I put my gym bag and the things that I need to do to go for a walk? Does that leash and my tennis shoes need to be right inside the door? So when I came home from work, I pop my tennis shoes on, grab my leash and go. And it's because I'm putting my backpack away and that's right there. And so I'm habit stacking on top of that. The other big thing, and you know, we do a podcast and different things, and we talk a lot about this is, and it's one of my bents, is that there is this tendency, and I see it on social media and even in some of the popular books, that you can create a habit in 21 days. And that's not true. Um, and most of us, if we think about anything we've done for 21 days straight, is it still a habit? If it were some of the 30-day challenges or the 12-week challenges, people would still maintain all of that because in theory, you created habits within 21 days. And what people, and so my concern with that notion is that it took us a long time to create that automaticity, which is what a habit is, um, even of some of our less than desirable behaviors. So it's gonna take a hot minute to get those new behaviors in place. Doing something consistently over time will definitely build that, but we do need to stack on top of other habits. We also need to be moderate in how much change we make at once because they don't that quickly create habit and therefore, and I'm sure you've seen it in the financial sector as far as uh, saving money, you know, people do it in spurts and then all of a sudden they kind of go off that uh, fiscal wagon. And it's because they haven't created systematic small habits that build on towards that ultimate goal. And part of that is, the other facet is, is that I also encourage people to think about process goals instead of outcome goals. Because the problem with an outcome goal is, and you guys talked about before, when I make a certain amount of money, I'll be happy. Or I'm going to lose this weight and I'm going to do it in a short amount of time. Well, that's an outcome. Now what? And so then people are constantly looking for a new outcome and inadvertently can sabotage themselves in order to create a new need to have another goal. And so love the habit stacking. And I think it's hugely important and it's very much built into um, what we teach and what we encourage people to do. All right. A couple of different things. You, you said a lot of good things there. A lot of things that got me excited. Um, so, <laughs> so I got to make sure I uh, don't lose my train of thought here. The, um, 
So the 21 days. So how long do you think it takes to form a habit then? So there's a lot of different research out there. And so I have, I have my opinions, but I want to also couch it that the research literature on this is so varied. And one of the reasons that people kind of gravitate towards one thing is you have to go look at the research who was in that study, what were they doing, things like that. And then also, was there any long-term follow-up? And rarely is there. One of the principles that um, we find in the behavior analysis literature a lot is um, if you're wanting to change a habit that you've had, most people don't want to add more things to their lives. So a, a new habit is really typically an alteration of an existing habit it's optimizing something or changing a little bit. What do you do after work every night? You're doing something, you're just shifting that into a different behavior. So one of the things I always talk about is if you've been drinking soda you know, for 10 years and you wanna stop soda, uh, it may take about 10 months to, for it to truly become automatic that you're drinking whatever your alternative is, assuming that you like the alternative. And so a lot of times, that's why I talk about a process goal, is that creating a habit means that it's, it's almost, it's functionally automatic. And you're not having to think about it every time, you're not having to. So in 21 days of consistently doing something, I can become more acclimated to that, but I probably still need prompts. I still need environmental cues to encourage it. I still need to be very mindful of it. And then depending on how long the habit that you're replacing or shifting has been in place, it can take quite a bit of time and that's okay. And it's okay if you have two days where you sort of fell off your new habit wagon, just pop back on. It is a process. And so I wish I could give you a definitive answer and I could probably sell a lot of books if, if I did. Um, but if <laughs> so I'll jump in real quick for her, um, unresearched answer here. <laughs> um, every year you've been doing whatever you're wanting to change, say the drinking soda, it will take a month of consistent behavior. So I like to think of that in the sense of if someone's been doing this for 20 years, it might take up to 20 months for them to do that. But what I also like about her answer too, is like anybody that gives you the straight answer, here's exactly who it is. You know, they're full of shit. <laughs> so it's just, it's just one of those things of like, th this is the problem. If you talk to someone that really looks into the, the research and has done this for a long time, there's not going to be a straight answer. So I feel like this, this space is big on giving you quick, short, simple, easy answers, but it's typically much more complicated than that. We, we love habits and they are a thing that are important for people to do. Um, but I almost think of it's like telling people to eat less calories to lose weight. You're like, yeah, that's, that's true. But like, it's just not as simple. And I, I, my, my fear is when we, we make things sound simple to our clients and then they don't have success with it, they feel like they're a failure. And so having them understand that, yes, habits, the long-term goal, but it's not going to be something that we just have to do in 21 days because I fear the day 22 c comes and they're like, well, this is still hard. How come this isn't a habit? This is my fault. And so trying to get away from, from, from that kind of communication with clients, I think is very important for us to have long-term um, help and reach for people. Because what, what I'm really trying to do, I love when people come to my facility that have been scared or haven't you know, trained anywhere else. Like I love working with people that haven't worked with anyone else. Um, a lot of people in the fitness space are all chasing the same 
you know, 10% of fit people in their town to come work at their, their facility. And I want to get the 90% that are a little intimidated to go and work somewhere else. So kind of went on a tangent there. No, no, that was a great point. And I think, you know, like uh, quick wins, you know, 21 days, you know, to change a habit, 21 days to get fit, you know, what, whatever it is, it's like, yeah, it's great for marketing, you know, those quick wins, people buy it, but it, it creates really bad expectations. Yep. Um, and it's going to create really high turnover and really bad retention rates in any field. You know, if I was going around saying I can get you rich in 60 days, which I absolutely cannot, um, <laughs> like, you know, it, it all sounds great and it'll pull people in, but, you know, to your point i think it was an amazing point is you set you set a really poor expectation and you're not setting up a long-term successful relationship and so you know and i want to go back to dr j talked about like process uh driven um habits and you know i really like those because i think it focuses on what you can control and so i like to use those for myself and i like to use those for my clients it's like i'd rather you focus on being successful at saving you know 20 percent every month rather than, you know, measuring your success on what your net worth is, right? Because your net worth is dependent on a lot of different factors that are really, really outside of our control. You know, the stock market's been down this year, but it hasn't been down in like 10 years, right? We can't control that, uh, but we do know it's going to happen on average three out of every 10 years, so we can expect it. Uh, But if we're just measuring net worth, then someone might be like, wow, this year kind of sucks. But if you're actually still saving, you know, 20% every month and, and doing all the right things in the process, then you can really enjoy that success. One other thing I want to um, ask real quick as we, we start to wrap this up is um, you talk about environment a lot, environment cues. And I'm just curious, how much uh, do you think behavioral is subconscious versus conscious? So exact number, go. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think yeah, I think a lot of it is unconscious. In yeah. other words, there's a significant amount of associations that we have made through just living life that have connected and paired things together. Um, and so in, in health and fitness or nutrition, we talk about why, why do you love mashed potatoes so much? Grandma made these amazing ones. There's a memory associated with things like that. Some of them are clear. Uh, fiscal and financial habits oftentimes are very much cued to over time the environment, certain scenarios, and also certain emotions that have been correlated with them. And in the literature, you call that stimulus response. And so that stimulus generates a response almost automatically. And so you have to change the stimulus. You have to know what the two are and then start to change it. So many people, much of their behaviors, I think, are subconscious. The positive on that is that doesn't mean that they are uh, a victim of it or they can't change anything. But when you ask the right questions or you go through the right system, and that's what a big part of, of the system that we put together is, and, and Scott talks about this all the time, if you ask people what the root cause of their behavior is and you phrase it that way, you show them the EATS model, you give them the four types, a lot of times people right away will be like, oh, it's that and or, well, it's that one on Wednesday nights and it's this one on Saturdays. And it's and so when you start to ask those questions or help people make those connections, a lot of those behaviors then can move to the conscious level, which then allows them to make some of those shifts and including some of those environmental cues. 
So 87.3% on cotton. <laughs> you can tell who the numbers guys are. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. No, this has been awesome. Um, I, you know, I got one final question that I ask everyone. I kind of want to sneak in a second one, but I didn't prepare you for it. So we can cut this if you don't want to answer it. Um, but it's, it's uh, kind of come from the conversation. What's the most irrational thing you've done with money? Like what's the most irrational money decisions each of you have made? Like super emotional, uh, you know, like behaviorally, it's probably not the right decision. I mean, recently, my my big purchases, I've gotten really good, really big into really good tequila. Nice. And I think part of it's that kind of you know breaking it down, uh, that tangible. But I like to, I like to stack these on these these root causes. So I, I take my tangible and I stack it with my um, attention because I do it in uh, have groups together where we'll drink really high end t- tequila. And so it makes me feel very important. And it's got a good sensory, like the sensory of that. So I like to stack my unhealthy, uh, my, my root causes for my unhealthy behaviors. Nice. Classy Azul is, is my top one for the people <laughs> that are my tequila connoisseurs. <laughs> uh, I think probably my, one of mine was probably getting a, a, a certain kind of car that I liked. That Tell them the car. No. Tell, yeah, tell us the car. <laughs> tell the car. <laughs> Why? He doesn't care. They um, care. They, they, you want to know. Audience cares a lot. Okay. <laughs> Via Range Rover. Oh, nice. That's not so bad. I was like, I expected something <laughs> is, really crazy. In my world. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the fiscal financial spending thing is, is, is not my go-to. So, um, yeah, it was a big thing for me. So the reason I asked this question, and it's not a question I've ever asked before, but I kind of thought of it as we were talking is, um, I know that money's super behavioral. You guys know that fitness is very behavioral and emotion plays a huge factor. And so I figured if I'm talking to two experts on behavior, I would love to hear that they also make what they consider. I, I'm not sure if it's a mistake or not, but what you would consider like an irrational decision, even though you know all the science behind the behavior, you still did it. Oh yeah, I, I think that that should be a given. I, I I think that if someone says that they got it all figured out and they never do that, I, I'd be a little suspect. So, um, I, I would certainly say that I I've definitely done irrational behavior, even though I'm supposed to be most aware of it. It's funny to see too. With like, I have some very very wealthy clients, but a lot of them came from nothing. So just seeing the things that they are super tight on and the things that they'll spend the biggest amount of money yeah. on. And, yeah. and we all have it in the, the sense of, well, I guess we don't have, some people just spend it on everything, but like, like I'm definitely in that realm too. And I catch myself doing that. Like I'm super tight on some things and then not on others. And so it's just funny to see clients and what they, what they, they value in their head. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you both coming on. Let everyone know where they can find more information on the course about you um, online. Yeah, so we give a lot of free content. On, you can find us on YouTube or podcasts. It's becoming the ultimate coach with the jock and the doc. Uh, we, name, we're, the they're, they're, thanks. They're uh, they're about ten minute clips. We're going over like right now. We're going over fitness trends, but we've gone over like a lot of different processes. You know, we've done like forty or fifty of those. Um, going to our website, healthybehaviorinstitute.com. Uh, you can find out more about our course, um, our contact information. If you want to reach out to us and. Anything else, Doc? And social media platforms, so Instagram, Facebook, um, the Healthy Behavior Institute's on there, uh, and, and we are as well. 
Yep. And I'll link to all those in the show notes. So, uh, Dr. J. Scott, thanks so much for coming on. Had an awesome conversation, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk with me. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. If you found this episode helpful or simply entertaining, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the best way to share the show with as many online fitness coaches as possible. Also, each week I send out The Assist, which is the number one financial newsletter for online fitness coaches and fitness entrepreneurs. To sign up, go to assistfp.com forward slash the dash assist, or simply go to the link in my Instagram bio. Until next time, keep growing, my friends.